Solidarity House Cooperative is a network of podcasts, including Solidarity House, Cowboys on the Commons, and Solidarity Wyoming. Your support on patreon.com slash solidarityhouse ensures that we can deliver this content to the public for free. Your support helps us cover anti-war, anti-capitalist, and anti-oppression struggles near and far. And your support helps us maintain, improve, and build on our shared space here at Solidarity Collective, where we host political events, provide space and refuge to artists and activists, and develop new systems of sharing. If you become a subscriber to Solidarity House on Patreon, you'll also get premium content like uncut interviews, original music, and special events. Please go to patreon.com slash solidarityhouse and become a supporter today. I'm Jackie Grimes. I am from Laramie, Wyoming, and I'm running for State Senate District 10. Hey, I'm Yana Ludwig, and I am from Laramie, Wyoming, and I am running for Wyoming's U.S. Senate seat. Jamie Cheek. I live in Ogden, Utah, and I am running for Utah's first congressional district for the U.S. House. As a rural Democrat running in Utah, the campaign's going great. Um, We are working on building our social media following. We're working on building our volunteer base. Um, and we're working always on fundraising. Um, kind of the big three issues that we've articulated um, is one, healthcare is a human right, which just um, can take many forms, but we're pushing for access for healthcare for everyone. Um, the other is a $15 minimum wage. Um, we've seen it work in smaller communities, and, and we think that it's really important um, that everyone have access um, to a livable wage. Um, And then the third one is a sustainable future. Um, Here in Utah, we actually have a lot of environmental issues. Um, We have inversion. um, We have lots of pollution. um, And so we want to make sure that we're focusing on moving to sort of that that next generation of technology and also providing jobs for people to have access to that while also solving things like climate change um, and and the crisis that exists for that. Well, it's kind of funny for me because people have been asking me that question, how's the campaign going? And I have no idea, really, because I've never done this before. And because I'm not sure that there's been a campaign quite like ours. It's happened in Wyoming for a long time, mostly because I'm running as an open socialist and I'm a queer woman and I've been very open about both of those things. And I feel like the conversations that I'm having with people on the ground have been great. Um, you know, so that part is going terrifically well, but I actually really have no idea. And there's something kind of great about that because I'm not getting too caught up in my own press about like, yeah, we're going to like flip Wyoming. You know, it's like, I don't really know. I mean, I think we're in it as much as anything else to be building a solidarity movement and to be building awareness about a bunch of issues that are frequently not talked about in Wyoming politics. And that part is going spectacularly well. And there's a lot of young people getting really excited. And that's probably the thing that's been the most fun for me is talking to people between the ages of about 17 and 30 and actually having them uh, get excited and get kind of a light up in their eyes about Wyoming politics for the first time in their political lives. And so that's been super fun. And the other thing um, that I want to talk about is, you know, those things that we're focusing on. So economic security is probably our number one issue and particularly being focused on worker protections. So we're 
talking a lot about unions, we're talking a lot about worker-owned cooperatives, we're talking a lot about wages and about really taking on the 1% very directly. So that's a chunk of what we're talking about. Um, I've been a climate activist for a long time, and so climate is one of my big issues, and it's particularly interesting in Wyoming right now because I think uh, most people are aware, and you know, if they haven't been aware for a while, they're becoming aware right now that coal is dying, and so we're in a really interesting time right now where I feel like a lot of things that politicians have been lying to people about in Wyoming for a long time are suddenly right out there on the surface and those lies really aren't working anymore. I mean, we know that we're gonna to have to be transitioning away from fossil fuels and what does that mean for workers? What does that mean for families? And so that's a big focus of what I've been talking about as well. Um, and then, you know, like Jamie, like healthcare is a big issue for us and really human rights in general. I'm very concerned about the human rights crisis that has been created at our border uh, by our president and the Republican Senate. And there's a whole bunch of different issues that I'm interested in that all kind of intersect as human rights and healthcare is absolutely one of them. So that's been a big talking point and a big bridge issue in a lot of the conversations that I've been having. Um, and then the last one is public lands. I mean, we're seeing a major assault on our national park system on federal lands in general right now. And this is a big issue for folks in Wyoming. You know, Wyoming really prides itself on having amazing access to public lands for recreation, for hunting and fishing. And that's one that I'm very well aligned with and that I think is actually a piece of a holistic climate plan. State level mm -hmm. uh, campaigns are a little bit different than a US level. My official announcement actually occurred on election night in 2018. Um, I did run for state representative in 2018, and I used my concession speech to go ahead and announce that I would run again in 2020. Um, I just changed the seat that I was running for as I watched that next round of legislature occur in our state and looking at seeing what the stop gaps are, why we're not making progress. The House actually had quite a few um, kind of movements or trajectories forward with some really solid ideas and legislation to bolster our state and to diversify that was just really shot down by the Senate. And so when we look at the progress in, in Wyoming, you could see the Senate really being that place where it stops, um, where most things kind of go to die. And that really um, inspired me to focus more on the Senate than the House seat, because we need change now in Wyoming. We don't need it eventually at some time in a 10-year plan, we need to start putting some things in place now. Otherwise, we're gonna be in some dire states um, pretty quickly here. Um, so for me, I actually never really stopped campaigning. People knew I was running again. Um, still working on those connections, really getting to know more people in my county, in areas that I really wanted to be involved in. Um, so right now, in terms of the campaign, I feel pretty strong. I've never dropped my social media presence. Um, been doing a lot of interviews as of late, been working with people to build up fundraising because it is always expensive, not as expensive as a U.S. rate, but at the state level, it is still fairly expensive. Um, and I still have a solid base from the last go-around, so in terms of those volunteers, they're on call, ready just to go canvassing and making phone calls, but Wyoming is interesting in that they don't necessarily love politics. They really like to limit that campaigning timeline. So you have to walk this tightrope as a candidate 
Um, I want to connect with you, but I also don't want to burn you out. And so right now it is getting that people who are more thinking like you involved and engaged and having smaller, briefer conversations with those that you have to engage in an uncomfortable conversation because there are things that people haven't really thought about yet. Um, the biggest part of my campaign is really focusing on issues that impact families. Wyoming has an exit problem where young people, young families are leaving the state in droves. Uh, we have quite the aging population here and there's, there's a reason for that. Um, we don't have secure jobs here. We don't have, you know, our education is in jeopardy. We're looking at education cuts. Education is a very passionate area for me. There's also childcare costs that don't match the cost of living or the, the wages that we see here in Wyoming. Uh, mental health got me really motivated to run because we tend to compete for the top three spots for rates of suicide in the nation. And we're really not doing anything to address that. There's the issue of lack of adequate access to health care, especially in our rural areas. And the weirdest one that I'm most passionate about right now, which I did not anticipate, and this is probably where the Detroit side of me comes out a little bit because I was born and raised in Michigan, is watching what is happening to residents of Wyoming as our coal companies go bankrupt and how companies are able to wipe out pensions and healthcare plans for people who put in 25, 30 year commitment into a company as if that's just erroneous debt. Well, that is a payment for services. Those are earned things. It's not an extra bonus if they happen to have it. And really finding the unfairness and the inequity in how we look at bankruptcy laws for companies versus bankruptcy laws for people. How someone with $150,000 worth of student loan debt that they had to take on in order to be a highly specialized doctor cannot be eliminated, but a multi-million billion dollar company can wipe out debt to people, I find to be appalling. And unless our state starts putting pressure on the U.S. level to address that inequity, um, we have families who are going to be in some pretty bad states here with the high frequency which we're experiencing bankruptcies in Wyoming. The problem with crafting legislative solutions at this, and because I brought this up during my 2018 campaign to several of our legislators, and the problem is in terms of companies, um, bankruptcy for companies is, is really seen at that national level. Mm -hmm. um, states can't write their individual policies around that. And so they can write some policies around if they want, if a, if a company's coming in, they can write legislation around things moving forward, but it won't necessarily be retroactive to deal with the, the bankruptcies that have occurred. What I'd love to see some movement on is actually putting that pressure on that U.S. level to say, here's what we want to see happen and here's how we're going to back it and getting those commitments a little bit more solid because the state hasn't actually been good at guaranteeing companies' promises when you look at the extraction industry and their, their tax base. Extraction industries pay for everything in Wyoming, and yet they owe us millions of dollars in taxes, which is also going to be eliminated in the bankruptcy. And I think that's really more where that focus is, is what happens to the tax dollars that are owed to the state versus what happens to the family of four that was counting on dad's pension and his medical benefits. So I think the priorities aren't completely aligned, but I think they could get there because the objective is the same as full companies accountable to those 
who are both vulnerable. Born and raised uh, in Newcastle, Wyoming. Uh, when I graduated, I went to the University of Wyoming for another six years. Um, and it was really interesting. Um, for those who don't know, Newcastle only has about 3,000 people in it. Um, so it's really, really small. My graduating class was 42 people. And so I think um, coming from that background, there's a lot, um, a lot of diversity that that I didn't get to experience um, growing up in that sort of setting. And so um, finding those experiences um, was really difficult. And I think um, that's kind of what helps shape some of the feelings that I think exist in Wyoming. And so you have to kind of seek out those exposures and kind of seek out um, those opportunities. And so I was able to do that through co-curriculars, um, through both um, debate in high school and in college. But I think you're kind of always worried about the other the, the other person right you're a huge community and so you when somebody when one person struggles everyone struggles and you know the community comes together to pitch in and to help and i think that's kind of what's framed kind of my desire to help others is you know we can do it individually but can we put some systems in place can we build some structures where not everyone has to struggle um, you know growing up i was i was a food stamps kid i was on medicaid um, and there's just some shame that comes with with having access to those services. And so if we can kind of change the way those systems work and provide that access to everyone, I think that's really, really important and kind of has pushed my desire um, to kind of try to make that difference and, and participate in the political process um, here in Utah rather than Wyoming, because uh, this is where, where work took us. But I think it's really important that we have these conversations in Wyoming and that we kind of make it a focus. Because I think deep down inside, everyone in Wyoming cares about each other and, and how we get to these services and how we get to these changes might look a little bit different. But we all have the same goal, which is that we want we want everyone to be successful and everyone to kind of have that, that, that right to life, liberty, and happiness. And so um, we may have started on a much smaller scale. I think um, it's helped definitely give me that good foundation of let's help others. How can we do that? And, and how can I take my skills and abilities and use them to the best of, of my knowledge um, to provide access for others? Because I haven't ever lived in like a big urban progressive environment other than really briefly. So for me, this is just normal, uh, you know, that, that I'm out there compared to a lot of folks and that, you know, that, that it takes actual dialogue and getting to know people and actually hearing their stories and actually connecting at that level. I mean, that's sort of what's always been a main feature of the kind of politics that I've had to do because I grew up in really small towns and in rural places. Isn't this just what you do is you like, you know, try to get past those things that we're told are supposed to be barriers to understanding each other and actually digging into like, well, what are your struggles that you have in your life? And, you know, how can we talk about our mutuality around those kinds of struggles. So, I mean, you encounter sexism everywhere you go as a woman in this country and it doesn't actually matter where you are. So, you know, I do feel like those dynamics come up sometimes and there is a little more of the sort of like, um, you know, okay, honey, pat on the head kind of energy that happens sometimes. But, you know, mostly I have felt like people have, you know, if, if they're not taking me seriously, it's more because I'm a socialist, I think, than because I'm a woman is what I'm experiencing, or at least that's where people's focus is when they talk about it and when they sort of push back against things and like doing a lot of 
education around like, well, what does socialism actually mean? And for me, the core of that is worker ownership. It's not like some sort of, like I don't love big governments for the sake of big government or something. Like I'm interested in looking at like how we can leverage the scale of the federal government and the scale of the state government to be able to make systems available a lot like what Jamie was talking about and, um, and getting past that word, I think for me has felt like that's been more of the challenge than getting past um, some kind of gender barrier. It's also interesting because basically all of the people in the race that I'm in right now and even the people that are potentially getting into it. I mean, it's likely that it's going to end up being two women in the general election. And so it's an interesting thing where it's almost like the people who would normally be super sexist, like they're going to end up having to vote for a woman or not voting this time. And it's like, that's fine with me because that's probably going to help me. I was making myself some notes of things I wanted to remember. Um, and one of them, I, I guess I should back up and say, in terms of blue-ish tents, Albany County we're about as blue as, as we get in the state of Wyoming. So I think when it comes around reproductive rights and some of these other issues, those who are likely to vote in Albany County are not nearly as conservative as other counties. Um, so I'm not having to worry about that really overly concerning um, conservative side of things. Um, in 2018, I had probably one of my favorite conversations on the campaign trail ended up being about 40 minutes inside of a sheriff's house um, where we were talking about issues that we're worried about. And while the state legislature, a really small subset of them, repeatedly bring up reproductive rights, when you actually talk to people about the issues that matter to them, that is not an issue that matters to people. It is not coming up as a, we want to ban abortion, we want to limit reproductive rights of women. Um, they have opinions about it, but the thing that pops up ends up being, I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to have a job. I'm worried about um, suicide because I know five people who have attempted or completed suicide. Um, they have a lot of other worries that are outside of that that they feel like the legislature needs to be focused on, and they're not. We talked for 40 minutes just about what it means to be public servants in the state of Wyoming and how that's not always looked on as kindly with my being in education and his being in law enforcement and how a lot of our job gets dictated or redirected by the legislator every session. They can throw out new things and suddenly everything has to change. He was, his primary worry was about suicide and just the trauma that his um, fellow colleagues were experiencing being called to somebody's house or a location of someone who is feeling actively suicidal and how they're not quite really trained to talk somebody down off the ledge and there's always that fear of is this person hoping to die by cop as a means of suicide and not feeling like they're getting enough support there so we had this whole conversation around suicide and how much it's impacting the officers in our county and where they're seeing it and at the end of it he even said you know i uh i've never voted for a democrat and I'm willing to bet that you're, you're pro-choice, and that is a really hot area for me, and my whole family is pro-life, and we are probably never going to agree on it, but I'm going to vote for you because the issues that are impacting my family, we align on. And when we start to look at that reproductive rights side of things, it's not nearly as much of a priority as I think a lot of people 
have tried to portray it as under that urgency. There is an urgency to protect it, but it's really not what voters are wanting us to be focused on. There's a lot more prevalent issues at the state level that impact people's day-to-day -day lives that this is a waste of legislator time. We need to address some bigger issues right now. Abortion is surprisingly, I, I think there's only been one conversation I've had the whole time where somebody has brought it up. It is not what voters are wanting to talk about. And I also had the experience, I was at a, um, a rural fair last summer over in Sweetwater County and got into a conversation with a police officer who was staffing a um, a suicide prevention booth. And he and I had, and it, it's like uh, echoes of what you're talking about. I mean, he and I had this amazing conversation and, you know, he basically ended up saying that he feels like what we have in Wyoming is as much as anything else, a cultural crisis where particularly where men aren't able to talk about their feelings and that we have this like major gap in our education and in our mental health services support where there's all this shame wrapped up with you know, men being able to talk about what's actually going on with them. And so they don't talk about it, don't talk about it. And then it hits a crisis point and they end up killing themselves. And, you know, he was really interested in being able to start having conversations that were really um, multi-level about mental health services and, you know, about suicide. And, you know, we are the only state that doesn't actually contribute to the national suicide hotline, um, which means that people can still call in from Wyoming, but you're never going to talk to another Wyomingite and somebody who is connected to like your exact cultural framework. And so it ends up being a really ineffective tool for a lot of people. And we also just have serious underfunding issues with our rural hospitals and with our mental health services. Um, and so that, you know, I had echoes of a really similar conversation with somebody and it was interesting that they were both with police officers. And I would say that, you know, the national line, the, the other issue is that because we don't have one, there can be hours long waits that people yeah. have to wait until somebody becomes available because it's got nowhere to ping it to. Yep. And so it, it is a really huge issue. And I, I think that's way more of a prominent issue agree with Yana than abortion. Some people struggle with seeing women kind of rise to these levers of power um, and having some of that input and kind of having to reconcile um, some of the, the things that they've been taught and kind of what they're seeing. Um, and so I think being a part of that process can sometimes be difficult. Um, the seat that I'm running for, Utah's first congressional district, has never been represented by a woman. And so that's something that we think is really important is to let people know that that we can make a really big difference here and give representation um, that they've never experienced before. And like Yana was saying, um, we might get to a point where the general is two women running. And so um, that's going to be really different um, for the voters here. Um, and so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes. As a, as a candidate running as a Democrat, um, we're able to find some of those blue pockets um, especially, I'm in the most liberal dis county um, in, in my district, um, so I get a lot of that kind of support. So I don't see a lot of, um, you know, backlash or, or, you know, accusations or any sort of those confrontations that happen that might, when I start traveling more to some of these more rural districts, um, do get a lot um, uh, on, on social media. <laughs> I think people feel empowered behind a keyboard. Um, and so it's kind of 
bringing it back to the issues and saying, you know, if, if we can get past the fact that I'm a woman or if we can get past the fact that I'm a Democrat, what are the issues that matter to you? And how can we take those issues, um, you know, to, to Washington? I can see why a lot of people don't get into politics. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of moving parts and there's, and it's just really overwhelming. It kind of just took me and my husband, Ryan, just like reading a lot, a lot of, of searching. Um, it was interesting to us that like the very first thing you have to do when you're going to um, run for office is you have to go create a business bank account. <laughs> so we were like, huh, that is an interesting way to do this. And because I am running a federal race and maybe um, dealing with those FEC disclosures, um, that, that was quite a learning curve. Have a really useful user manual, which has been helpful. Um, but since you only get in there once a quarter, it's like relearning how to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like, what is happening? And then I realized when I was doing it that I made a mistake on my first filing. So I had to go amend my first report to then finish my second report. And so it has been really overwhelming. And we are, um, I've actually been surprised. Um, at some of the like awesome turnout that we have had, like we, we get donations from literally all over the country. Um, people who, you know, um, are active in politics and, and, you know, see a candidate and are willing to donate, um, is kind of shocking to me. Um, cause I never, I always thought of myself as super political, but I see the level that other people are engaging in. And I was like, no, this is, this is much bigger. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of rough that I learned it as a candidate, but I've been trying to, to, to pay it forward um, and kind of provide those opportunities for other candidates that I see um, running that, are, that are, have the values that I think are important. Um, but yeah, lots of le learning on the go. Like every week I'm learning something new uh, and how it is, you know, how, how that works. And so um, we're, and also Utah's weird in that they have like a dual nomination process. So they have both the convention process as well as a traditional primary. Um, and so we're, we're learning how that works because right now we're gathering signatures to be on a primary ballot in June, but if we win the nomination in our convention in April, then we don't, we wouldn't have that primary ballot. And so it's just kind of learning those mechanisms as we go is, is always exciting. Wow, that's a trip. <laughs> right? I had to, I had to literally sit my husband down and be like, but if we think we can get convention, why would we gather signatures? And he's just like, it's the ultimate backup plan. And I was like, that's a lot of work. <laughs> um, the great thing is it gives us the opportunity to meet um, with our voters. Uh, so that's probably the biggest part is that it's going to help with exposure and outreach um, and less about getting the actual 7,000 signatures. Well, I'm curious, Jackie, you're the one of the three of us who's been through this before. Like what, I guess I have two questions. Like what advice do you have for us first time women candidates? And also, like, how did you deal with it when you lost? Like, what was that emotional process like for you? Um, I guess I could start with the loss. I went into the, ex the election expecting to lose. Mm -hmm. um, so let me back up a little bit. I decided to run. Politics was never in my plan. Uh, when, I, when I thought of myself in leadership positions, it was in the world of education, um, never running for office. But someone approached me and asked me if I ever consider it, and I thought it was really funny. Um, but then I gave it some really good thought and got some really good advice. And one of the pieces of advice that I was given that I think all Democrats need to hear is that on average, it takes running for office three times before you get elected. And one of the mistakes that Democrats make is that we run for office, 
in hard areas that are really red and we lose and we disappear. Mm. So all that time you spent getting your name recognized, getting people familiar with you, building that momentum dies in 11 months. Mm -hmm. And so I had no idea how to write, run a campaign. Um, I didn't have anyone to guide me. I made it up as I went along and it was a really good learning opportunity, but I went into running for office going, you know, I don't know what I'm doing to run a campaign. And if I win, that is awesome. Um, it's, it's what I want. It's what I believe, you know, I believe I would be a better representative. Um, but really it was about figuring it out. What does it really take at a grassroots level in a predominantly red state that is predominantly rural? Because the tactics and the trainings that you can do from all of these national models, I don't think work in, in particular with Wyoming, but um, having a parent who lived in Utah, I also don't necessarily think those strategies work very well in Utah either. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote my concession speech like halfway into running my campaign, knowing that I made a commitment that I will run three times um, uh, because that's what it takes to win. Um, and so I kind of had a different mindset. Um, I also felt really proud. We had more voters turn out, period, for that district than ever had even in a presidential election. So we had higher voter turnout, which I think civic engagement is so important that that felt like a win, even though it wasn't in my direction. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I That's also awesome. garnered more votes than any other Democrat did in that district because of that as well, because more people turned up because they believed in what I had to offer. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of motivated me of this was really positive. I think the worst experience I had on the campaign trail was someone saying, you know, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I said, Democrat. And they said, no, thank you. And shut the door. Um, so I didn't really have any real negative experiences. And I mentally prepared for if I'm giving this by all, that is a, that is a three cycle commitment. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. I also, Chris Rothfuss also said to me recently, you know, you have to be, you have to have goals other than winning if you're going to do this and you know, which, which fortunately we do, but it, it was good to sort of have that affirmed from him that, you know, it's like, it's like, yes, it's about flipping seats and it also can't just be about flipping seats. And, um, and that was helpful to hear that from, you know, to hear that from him and to hear that sort of echoes of that from you as well. So thanks. I think in terms of advice, don't get caught up in the social media. <laughs> um, Luckily, this didn't happen for me, but I did see in the last cycle quite a few people who ran for U.S. House. Either they themselves or their campaign managers would want to get into arguments with people that you were never going to change their opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it was really hard to leave an open-ended statement that maybe was somewhat appalling alone, but engaging it is so much worse than just letting it be. You're never going to swing that, that person's opinion. You can leave a really you know, short, brief statement and just let it go. The only example I can think of that happened to me was when I was running an ad on Facebook. I don't think anyone believed that I was actually connected to the account that was running the Facebook page. And an older gentleman had made a comment about how he could never vote for a candidate who would bombard and invade privacy like this. This is so pathetic. And he, he wrote all this stuff out. And my response was, man, I'm really sorry I made you feel that way. I just felt like this was a really good way to connect with people who maybe I won't ever get a chance to connect with. The whole idea is that if I'm going to represent people, I need a, a method in which to reach people. And this seemed like a good 
good method, but I'm sorry if that was offensive to you. And he immediately apologized and then deleted his comment. I have a question actually for both Jamie and, and, and Yana. Um, just looking at net, you know, politics in general, and one of the things I think Republicans have done really well in the last couple of decades is they've focused on smaller and built up. Um, what made you all decide to focus on a U.S. seat versus a statewide seat or a local seat in terms of why you felt like that was the important place to run? Yeah, I know for me it was because the issues that, are, that were keeping me up at nights uh, are issues that the federal level is the place where those things get decided. I mean, you know, climate policy is primarily playing out uh, at the federal level and the international level. And the U.S. Senate, I think, is the biggest blockage right now worldwide to actually making a serious dent on climate change. And, um, you know, and I know the standard advice is to sort of like start locally and then work your way up to state and then eventually run for federal office. And my feeling is that we don't have time to have more Republican control over that particular issue. And if I'm going to make an impact on that, the place to do it, I think, is in the U.S. Senate. And, you know, and I also feel like there's been some really interesting shifts that have happened. I mean, because of, you know, Bernie Sanders opening up the, you know, the Overton window, the what is it possible to dialogue about, and then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, you know, various other people. Like, I think there's space for politics like mine in DC in a way that there really hasn't been before. And so, you know, it's, in some ways, it's just, you know, that's the place where, you know, it looks like the most interesting to be playing right now, I think is actually in DC. Probably for me, visibility wise, I think the Utah kind of uh, national representation uh, was most obvious to me. And, and I try to engage all of my representation, but probably uh, was more engaging on those levels. And when I found out that our congressional representative was retiring after um, several, several years, um, it kind of was exciting to have that thought of, can, can we try and flip this seat? Because, you know, Ben McAdams just barely flipped um, the Salt Lake City um, district. Uh, and, and we know that this is the reddest, one of the top five reddest seats uh, in the country. And so I knew it was going to take a good candidate who, um, you know, had had a lot of the same, you know, feelings about issues that I had. And that kind of being that representative, that beacon of blue light um, to try and get people to kind of see that we can have, you know, purple in Utah, that we don't have to all be red uh, was interesting. I do think some of the groups that I'm working with are, you know, they kind of give you the side eye when they're like, oh, you're running for a federal office and you didn't run for a state or a, a local office. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important that if you, if you have the ability um, and it's something that you're passionate about and it's issues that you care about, kind of what, what Yana was talking about, which is the, the federal levels is the important, where the important, the issues of importance to me are, are kind of playing out. Um, that is definitely um, something that, that was a priority for me. And I also think down ballot races are so, so important. Mm -hmm. And so if I can kind of be, you know, the top of the ballot um, for the state, uh, for, for CD1, and kind of provide some of that opportunity for, for the lower races, um, I think that is something that's really important. And we have a really, we have like a super majority uh, red legislature um, in Utah. And so um, helping as much as we can, even as a federal office, I think is, is super important. Well, I think my 
core values are really about community and sustainability and inclusion and justice. And, you know, it plays out in so many different ways. I mean, the, the justice and inclusion piece is very tied up for me with the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I'm turning 50 in a couple of weeks and it has been 50 years since Wyoming elected someone running as a Democrat to represent us in DC, which means it's been my entire lifetime that a whole bunch of people in this state have not had anybody really attending to them and to their needs and really, you know, that nobody like them has been in office in that whole time. And so I think that's, you know, part of what motivates me to run is saying that like the, the, some of those values that I hold true are, you know, letting politics as usual go on in Wyoming isn't actually getting some of them served. And then for me, the community and sustainability parts are really about local economies, which I think, you know, Wyoming is asking a lot of, starting to ask some really good questions about how we're going to diversify our economy. And I've been part of the local economies movement for a long time. And I'd like to see, you know, somebody who actually has done that work have some political power and have some influence over it. And I think the sustainability stuff for me is mostly playing out in like climate and in my public lands advocacy. And certainly, you know, public land stuff is, you know, as I said earlier in the interview, you know, is a big, big part of Wyoming's identity. And I want to see that preserved. And right now it's being undermined pretty seriously and it makes my heart hurt. And so I'm wanting to stand up and really champion public lands, among other things. I think that there are a lot of problems that exist because the people who get a say and the people who have control on some of these policies are not the everyday Americans. And I think that in my, in my current role, um, in my, my day job, I see these people who are struggling every single day. Um, and so when we do things like vote down Medicaid expansion, or we do things like put work requirements on food stamps, I, I see it on the people's faces every single day. And so I think that we have to have someone who knows what it's like and knows, can, can, can give names and faces to the issues that, that are facing our Americans. What everyone wants, you know, if you're a parent, I, I want a place for my kids to be able to call home for as long as they want to call it home. Um, I look at Wyoming as being a place my husband and I, I can be right now, but when my kids grow up and are adults, I don't know if there will be a place for them. And I think that's true for a lot of our children in Wyoming. And every parent wants their kids to flourish and bloom and go on, but they also want them to home to always feel like home. And Wyoming is one of those places that I look at, just based on the population size, it's like, it's like the nation's largest neighborhood. Um, everybody kind of knows each other or has, you know, seven degrees of separation where you can find that connection. And Wyoming's actual core values, when you look at the history of some of the stuff that Wyoming has built into their state constitution, um, really is one that's meant to be the equality state, having that equity and that equality. Um, I know that's true based on how they initially conceptualized and funded education, public education. It's very rare for states to look at the funding model equitably so that all districts have the ability to meet the needs of students, not just the wealthy districts. Um, and I say that as Albany County is an actually pretty poor um, county as a whole in comparison to the rest of the state, and yet 
we are funded well for education because that was a core value from Wyoming that everyone should have a good education. And so that foundation of equality is already there. I think the methods on how we get to equality for people are, are, are different where, you know, a lot of people feel like, and this is part of that exposure and experiences thing, that we don't need certain things because that's government overstepping. Well, the impact or the value of a good quality government is when you look at the most vulnerable residents and you see their quality of life, that is a way you assess whether or not government's working the way that it should. It's about creating that equity and that equality for all and those opportunities and so Wyoming has that foundation. We've just gotten confused by the talking points, you know, being able to diversify the economy. Um, people immediately will start shutting that down about the cost of other companies coming in and how we don't have the resources here, so no one's going to want to come here, or that will only address this one small little thing and it doesn't solve the whole problem, so why do it at all? Um, there's almost this desperate response to what's happening in the state that we need to be able to step, take a step back and take a breath and get back to our core values of what matter and have honest conversations about why these things matter. And probably, you know, we haven't talked much about the non-discrimination that we really want, you know, many people would like to see passed in the state here and why that's important. And I've had lots of conversations with people who don't feel like that's a priority or it's needed. And I talk to them about the experiences I had where when I was in middle school, after my dad had come out, he was fired from his job for coming out. And then he had to move out of the state in order to find a job. And so I lost my dad kind of one fell swoop. And so we started talking about non-discrimination and say, I know you don't know anybody, but these things happen. And here's how it impacts families and communities. Um, and this is why we need it. A lot of people make decisions based on whether or not it's had impact on them. But we need to be able to open up a broader conversation to that. And so my values really kind of align with what Wyoming's core is. We just need to start having a shifted conversation of how we get to that equity and equality.